Hey, everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, April 1st. I am so intrigued by Daisy and Ricky. Just, just, you got me, YNR. You got me? <laughs> I'm totally interested. I'm really hoping that it's explored further next week. I want more. I've had a taste of Daisy and Ricky, and now I want more. I'm very surprised because, as you all know, I was not a fan of Ricky. The instant he came onto the scene, I was like, ick. And back before Daisy came back this time, I was like, ick. And now all of a sudden, ick plus ick equals yum. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's there's something there. There's just an undeniable something there between Daisy and Ricky, and I want more. <laughs> How do you guys feel about it? Am I the only one on this wavelength? Probably. But nevertheless, the whole thing started because Phyllis convinced Ricky to be this go-between, like the inside man. She asked him to get close to Daisy in order to feed information to that will to her that will help the custody case, getting Lucy back in Daniel's hands and therefore Phyllis's hands as well. So trying to take Lucy away from Daisy and using Ricky to pull information out of Daisy in order to make that happen, which he seemed to do a little bit of this week. But he has been going over there to Daisy's apartment, talking to her, just getting to know her, and out of the blue... <laughs> They started locking lips. Next thing you know, it was... <laughs> and I think there was even a little bit of a possibility that they could have slept together. Do you guys, did you get that impression? Did you feel like maybe they slept together? Because it was kissing and then the end of that day show and cut to the next day and uh, it was already the next morning. And Eden insisted that Ricky did not come home that night, but that doesn't mean he didn't sleep with Daisy. It doesn't mean he didn't do her and run across the hall. I am sort of wondering if it's possible that they slept together. And if so, why didn't we get to see it? <laughs> it's bad. It's not ick plus ick equals yum. It's bad plus bad equals yum. I should rephrase that. It's a, a lot better. I can't help but wondering, though, if it's mutual playing of each other or if it's for real. Is the relationship for real? I honestly cannot tell Who's playing who, if anyone, is playing? The only thing that we really know for sure in this situation is that both Ricky and Daisy hate Phyllis, which makes them ideal allies. Ricky has agreed, or confessed, I guess, to Daisy, that he's going to start giving her inside information. He's basically flipping the scene. He confessed to Daisy that he was a plant, that Phyllis had sent him to her in order to get inside info, and then decided to switch it around and say, you know what, I'm going to do exactly the opposite. I'm going to now help you to keep custody of Lucy and screw Phyllis, which... 
Ricky seemed so convincing about that. I, 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 when, where, honestly, where either of these characters are concerned, I don't know where the truth begins and the lie ends. And I think that's what I find so intriguing about it. I just can't tell. When Ricky was telling Daisy that he was going to be on her side, I thought it was real, but then I remember back to that scene that he had with Patty, just that brief scene at the church as she was breaking down. He came to talk to her, he reached out to her, he kind of grabbed her hand and started pulling information out of her, started talking to her about her life and relating it to his life, and even telling Patty that she reminded him of his mother, and there was this brief moment where I believed it entirely and kind of thought maybe he was going to help Patty. And so I feel uh, tricked because just within the next moment, he turned it around and all of a sudden he was like, well, I don't know her, never had anything to do with her. So I don't know when to believe him. I don't know if, if if it's for real with Daisy. I don't know if his feelings are for real, but I'm starting to root for them together. I kind of... I'm starting to believe that, I don't know, that maybe Daisy wants to be a good mom, that maybe she's being genuine, that she feels bad for everything that went down and the circumstances under which she had Lucy, (coughs) and that she even admitted this week that she used the kid to get some things that she wanted and that she wasn't proud of that. And I, I'm just starting to think maybe she really wants to have a family. She really wants to be a good mom. And Daisy, for all of her faults, is Lucy's mom. I mean, you really can't get around that. She's not, I mean, she's not just some birth canal. <laughs> she mentioned that to Daniel this week. I'm Lucy's mother. And Daniel quipped back with something like, Um, well, you gave birth to her, but that doesn't make you her mother. But it does. (laughs) Lucy is uh, Daisy's child, and there's just no other way around that. She was a bad seed. She's done a lot of really bad, bad things. Unfortunately, the situation with Billy and Victoria didn't work out. I think that probably would have been the most ideal circumstance for the child. It was a loving home. Seemed like everything was going to work out there. And unfortunately, that just didn't work out. Then Lucy went to Phyllis, which was really only a temporary situation. I think we all kind of knew that that was a temporary situation. And I hate to say it, but Daniel... The only other parent signed away his parental rights. And I knew at the time that he was going to regret that. I knew that that was a big, big mistake. Of course, he was doing it to try to facilitate the Billy and Victoria adopting Lucy situation. But I knew that he was going to regret that. He signed away those rights. And now this is the scenario that it has created. They all go to court this week to try to get those parental rights reinstated. Doesn't have anything to do yet with trying to get custody of Lucy away from Daisy. For now, it's just getting Daniel's parental rights reinstated. And it really looked like it wasn't going to happen. The judge was not sympathetic to Daniel's situation, kind of looked like it was going to rule against him. And just then, Daisy stepped in and she had her lawyer there file a friend of the court letter or something like that, which asked 
that Daniel's parental rights be reinstated. She was pulling for Daniel. She stepped in when it looked like things weren't going to go his way, and she uh, was the deciding factor in that court case, uh, which makes me feel really bad for her. I, I, I kept thinking the entire time, is this part of a larger plan for her? Uh, or is she really, really kind of this dumb? She knew, she knows that Daniel's ultimate plan is to take custody of the child away from her, and yet she went ahead and gave him one step closer to getting that done. I, I think that in Daisy's mind, she saw it as one step closer to Daniel and one step closer to this imaginary family that she has in her head that she wants to have with him. She wants to be with him. She wants to raise the child together. She wants to live with him. She wants to live happily ever after with Daniel. But it ain't happening. I'm kind of surprised that someone as tuned in as Daisy would would be so naive when it comes to this. I guess when it comes to her emotions... I guess it's just that Daniel uh, is her one weakness or um, feelings of wanting to have a family is her weakness. And uh, it's really unfortunate because it, it's it's one step backward for her. And I, I just think, well, gosh, maybe she could just redirect the energy away from Daniel and put it into Ricky. <laughs> I'm so bad. I'm relentless. I'm never going to give this up now. Now that I've got Ricky and Daisy in my head, I'm never going to give it up. <laughs> Nothing else is going to do. Um, but really, how did, why is Daisy so fixated on Daniel? They never really even explained that fully. We never even talked about what it is that she likes about him. Why him? They didn't really even spend that much time together. So why him? I wish she would change her focus a little bit and maybe hook up with Ricky. I like the idea of them, you know, of maybe this child being Ricky's soft side, bringing out and bringing out the soft side of him. And and honestly, I kind of want Phyllis to just back off. I know I'm switching positions. I really <laughs> realize this, but I kind of want Phyllis to just back off. Go, go away and just just see the child. Try to incorporate Daisy into their lives. She's obviously still, Daisy is obviously still a troublemaker. That's true. But rather than alienating her, why don't they try to incorporate her into the family somehow? Um, no matter even if she gets, uh, if, if Daniel gets full custody, if they keep Daisy out of Lucy's life for the next 18 years successfully, the child's still going to grow up, still going to want to know who her mother is. You can't erase the fact that Daisy is her mother. So why not just start incorporating her into your, her family? I don't know. That would be logical. And Phyllis doesn't have a whole lot of that when it comes to her emotions. She's very led by her emotions. And it's been actually really nice, I should mention, to see... Phyllis and Avery connecting. Avery's really being there for Phyllis throughout this entire battle, court battle. And um, and also talking through the problems with Nick with Avery, which is kind of weird. But for now, it seems like Avery and Phyllis are getting along, and it's kind of nice. I, you know, I guess everybody's in this situation. 
is just really being driven by guilt in some way or another. Everybody's trying to make up for their mistakes in some way or another. You've got Daniel, obviously, feeling bad about writing away his uh, parental rights. You've got Daisy trying to make up for, you know, the mistakes of her past and wanting to move forward. Avery is making up for mistakes from her childhood, mistakes that she made with Phyllis, and uh, the obvious mistake of feeling like she let Daisy out of, got Daisy out of jail when she didn't deserve to be out of jail and unleashed the situation onto her sister. And then finally, I mean, the, the, the queen of, of uh, trying to make up for mistakes is Phyllis. I think Phyllis is so engaged in this Lucy custody case, in part, of course, because it's her granddaughter and she cares, but in a larger part because she didn't have this great family growing up and she wants all of her children to have a really good family with good influences. And Phyllis sees Daisy as a scam artist, which reminds her of her own father, and so she's trying to make up for that. And not only that, but Phyllis still feels guilty, I think, over having been declared an unfit parent with Daniel. Daniel was taken away from Phyllis as a child. Danny had to file to get full custody of, of Daniel and took Daniel away off to tour in Europe for years, leaving Phyllis completely in the dark, completely uninvolved in her son's life. And she still, I think, feels intensely guilty about that, which is also probably why she tries to pressure Daniel into having a relationship with Lucy, because she knows how much it hurts and how much she, that he'll regret it in the future eventually. So, <laughs> there's enough guilt to spread around. Now, speaking of Danny Romalotti, you guys, I read a little casting update that, like, Danny's gonna be back. Michael, what's his last name? Oh, I can't think of his name. The actor who plays... Danny, I'll never remember it right now, but whatever. He's coming back on the show. <laughs> it's, I think, scheduled for May. So we've got another month of no Danny, and then Danny's coming back. And from what I read, it seemed like it might even be a possibly long-term-ish sort of thing. Because I read that YNR had been trying to ink a deal with him for ages, and I remember hearing about this on and off over the last couple of years, that they were in negotiation, kind of hoping to agree um, on a, I don't know, probably a financial figure and a situation to bring Danny back into, into the picture, and that is officially happening now. So Danny is coming back, and I also read that he hasn't gotten his scenes yet, but he knows that he's having scenes with um, Chris. Chris is going to be coming back, too, for this, apparently. Probably not long-term, but he's going to have some scenes with her. And, of course, with Phyllis and Daniel. So, as the custody situation starts to heat up, probably within the next month, the good, really good question on my mind is, how is Danny's return to Genoa City going to affect all of that? Nick's hair has been buzzed yet again. Why? Why do they do that? <laughs> it's just when Nick 
Luke's hair starts to get into a really good place. It's got a good length going on. He's looking really rocking. It's like somebody comes in with a stray, uh, I don't know, um, hair cutting buzzer and just like takes off all of his sexy hair. Why do they do that? I hate his hair short and buzzed and yet they do it all the time. I don't know if it has something to do with summer. Maybe Josh Morrow is involved in some sports or something. I know he's a sporty guy, but I like a little length on Nick's hair, and I wish they would stop with the buzzing, but I guess I gotta pick my battles here. So... Nick and Sharon went to Japan this week on the heels of Genevieve and Kane and Jill and Victor to try to secure this Mitsukoshi contract. It used to, ex this, this Mitsukoshi company used to carry Beauty of Nature products exclusively in their stores, but now <clears throat> Beauty of Nature has been sold off, so the contract is up for a bid, but they still have a relationship with Newman. Uh, they're, they're, most of their business dealings were with Newman. So Nick and Sharon go there to try to land back the deal. Now, Phyllis is not happy about this. Of course you guessed it. Phyllis, not pleased about the fact that Nick and Sharon are going to be traveling together. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. And, okay, here's the thing. Nick didn't have a chance to tell Phyllis himself that he was going to Japan with Sharon halfway or across the halfway across the world with Sharon. It was actually Adam who overheard Nick and Sharon talking about this trip at the athletic club. And then Adam sent Phyllis a text saying, they're going to Japan. I wasn't invited. Were you? And I want to just explore that. I want to grab onto that just for a little while here and talk about Adam and Phyllis. What's up with this? I don't think that Adam necessarily has bad motives when it comes to Phyllis, but I kind of can't help but think that he's twisting the knife in there a little bit. Why is he doing that? He didn't have to text Phyllis and tell her that Nick and Sharon were going to be going off together. He had to know on some level that that was going to get to her. So I can't help but feel that it is sort of similar to the situation we had like two years ago when it was Phyllis and Adam kind of on the outside looking in at Nick and Sharon's relationship, hoping that it doesn't progress, but kind of having a fear that it will. It feels very similar to what we had last time. And if that's the case, I really, really genuinely am starting to kind of hope well, uh, I know this is bad, but okay, maybe just off on a little tangent. What about Phyllis and Adam? Like, if Nick and Sharon are gonna get back together, then what about Phyllis and Adam? Is there anyone who's ever really thought about that? I know there are avid fans, uh, Nick and Sharon, or Nick and Phyllis, and Adam and Sharon. I mean, just, there's a lot of fans who feel very strongly on either side of the debate, but I can't help but kind of wonder if anyone has really thought about Phyllis and Adam. They would be explosive. They have a really good chemistry together. Like when they went off to Thailand, that was very intriguing. I don't know. Could they have potential sexy time? <laughs> 
I think it's a possibility. We'll leave it up in the air. We'll see. So, anyway, back to Nick and Sharon going to Japan. The assumption is kind of that Nick is going to be leading this business experience. He's the he's the senior guy. He has written up the, you know these proposals, and he's used to doing things a certain way. And he steps in to deal with this Mitsukoshi dude, and Sharon ends up totally upstaging him. This Mitsukoshi dude ends up having a mad crush on Sharon, leaves Nick out in the waiting room, takes Sharon into, like, a private room to do the business dealings, <laughs> which seems kind of shady. I wouldn't leave Sharon in a room with some random Japanese business guy. It seemed a little... I felt a little uncomfortable for Sharon being in that situation, but she totally pulled it off. I was really proud of her. Nick, see, Nick is all business. He has this very stiff approach. <laughs> I had to laugh a little bit because Adam was commenting on Nick earlier in the week, saying that Nick is someone who has always been under Victor's umbrella. He's always had the luxury of being Victor Newman's son, and he's had everything handed to him. I'm surprised that he knows how to tie his shoes. That was kind of hilarious. But yet still, Nick has more of the business experience, and he has this very stiff, Newman-like approach to doing business, whereas Sharon has more of a personal touch. You know, she's able to connect with the Mitsukoshi guy on a on a social level. And I just gotta say, good for her. Good for Sharon. I really do wish her all of the best in her business dealing. She did an awesome job. She ended up landing the deal for them. They both wrote a proposal together, Sharon and Nick, but it was really Sharon that brought it home. And she snagged the Mitsukoshi contract for Newman Enterprises, forget the fact that they don't have a product. They don't have a business. They don't have a name. They don't have a product. They have nothing. But still, Sharon's sheer uh, charm was able to was able to land them the contract. And I have to tell you guys, I honestly think that Nick got a little turned on by the fact that Sharon closed the deal, that she was large and in charge and proud of herself. I think he was proud of her, and I think that was kind of a little aphrodisiac for him. <laughs> Whether he's able to admit it or not, this is not the Sharon that he has known for his whole life. Sharon has always been Sharon the meek, Sharon the humble, Sharon the helpless, and now all of a sudden she's getting stuff done, and I think that that turned him on a little bit, just a little bit. They had some really good interaction. After the business deal was closed, they were sitting around at the restaurant just, you know, wasting time, waiting for the the plane to, waiting for their flight and all that, and it was, it was cute. They were playing with a Rubik's Cube together and just kind of chatting back and forth and pushing each other's buttons a little bit and just acknowledging the fact also that they're exes, not trying to ignore the 800-pound gorilla in the room. They actually acknowledged it, and it was very cute times together. They, you know, I, I like them together as friends, definitely as friends. It, it felt almost too cozy <laughs> for a few moments 
just, it was too comfortable. I just can't help thinking about the way that Nick and Phyllis got started. This is very similar to the way that Nick and Phyllis got started. Sharon and Nick sitting there playing with the Rubik's Cube, and then contrast that with uh, Phyllis and Nick playing video games on the couch. This is exactly how the Nick's cheating with Phyllis got started. Things with Sharon at the time were complicated at home after Cassie's death, and Nick wanted something light. He wanted something fun. And I can't ignore that that is kind of what's happening now in reverse. Phyllis is at home dealing with, you know, the court case with Daniel and all of her family stuff. Phyllis is having a really hard time right now, and she wants Nick to be there with her. I'm sure he wants to be there with her, but the flight is delayed, and he's not able to get back to her as quickly as he wants to, and you could really see... When Phyllis learned that, that he was going to be staying stuck potentially overnight, another night with Sharon in Japan, Phyllis's light went on, and I think that she realizes it too. I think she's very cognizant of that the situation is kind of reversed at this point. And it's, it's really, really hard to continually see... Phyllis and Nick in this situation where Phyllis just doesn't trust Nick. Phyllis and Nick's relationship, frankly, should not hang in the balance over one flight, whether or not he's able to get home from Japan. It shouldn't hang in the balance over one little thing. They should be stronger than that. It should take more than that to tear them apart. If this, if Nick and Phyllis's relationship is everything that, that they want it to be, that it shouldn't be this easy to break them. Phyllis's insecurity when it comes to Nick is just, it's not only unappealing and unattractive, it is, to me, just exhausting. Genevieve is eating a lot of crow this week. She's eating crow to Victor. She's eating crow to Kane. And Kane, Kane is just, I'm, I'm loving him again, but I can't help but feel that he is just being very hard on Genevieve, kind of excessively hard on Genevieve. Frankly, I'm not ready to give him a medal because he saved his mother from landing herself in a Japanese jail for bribery. I expected him to do that. That was the right thing to do. That's the least that he could do for his mother. Yet, he's just mad at her because... She believed that he could have been trying to sabotage her when he busted in to her business deal, acting all drunk. <laughs> I would have believed it. He did a really good job of pretending. And I don't, I, for all of the things that I blame Genevieve for, and there are a few, I don't blame her for not realizing right away that Kane was trying to help her. Why would she? Look at the way he's been treating her. Disinviting her from the wedding, acting like he doesn't want to have anything to do with her. Moments before she had that business meeting, he was treating her like crap. But finally, 
because she ended up seeing an international news article that someone else ended up getting busted for bribery in Japan, it clicked with her that, oh my gosh, maybe Kane was trying to save me. She felt horrible. She went to him to apologize, and they actually had this moment of peace between them where she apologized, he accepted it, they kind of connected, and then five seconds went by, and Kane gets an email seeing that same news article and realizes that that's how Genevieve came to the conclusion that he was trying to help her, and now all of a sudden he's mad again. Why does that even matter, is my question. Why? She apologized. She reached out. I believe that if somebody reaches out, you should reach back. That was hard for her to eat crow with Cain. She reached out a hand to him, and he smacked it away, and I believe that that's wrong. That's just me. That's just the way I live my life. But I believe that was wrong. Cain uh, expects forgiveness from everyone in his life for all of the things that he's done, but then he refuses to give it to Genevieve in any way. He refuses to forgive her. And I'm not saying that... He has to let Genevieve back in his life and welcome her with open arms and have family get-togethers with her. I'm not saying that that's what he needs to do. I understand why he wants to keep his distance from her, absolutely. But, uh, I'm sorry, a little bit of kindness can go a long way, and I think that that's warranted. He doesn't have to let her in his life, but he should be treating her like a human being, and and tr he should be trying. He should be trying to repair the relationship if she wants to try to repair the relationship. I mean, Jill certainly has, has, she's not always been a perfect angel. Jill is very mild at this point in her life, but Jill has done a lot of shady, shady things too, and Kane forgives her. He, he looks past that with Jill. He treats Jill very, very well, and it just feels like a little bit of a double standard for me. Just a little bit. <laughs> it's actually kind of... I kind of wish Jill would be getting a little more rowdy lately. I know that the actress recently moved off to... She lives in a different state. She doesn't even live in L.A. where they film. She lives in Montana or something like that. So she is, commutes back and forth to do the show. So... She's not really as hugely involved in storylines anymore, but I love it when she is. There was this scene this week where Jill uh, goes to Victor's office to own up, I guess, to the fact that she took that picture of Genevieve and Victor smooching it up in Japan. Victor confronts her, asks her why she took it, and she just, you know, played it off. She said, hey, it, it was what it was. I, I saw what I saw, and I think that Jill still firmly believes that there's something going on between Victor and Genevieve, something more, something maybe romantic. And it was just, a, it was just an interesting little scene, seeing Jill going up against Victor. It was very funny. They had this kind of catty back and forth between them. It was just a really nice scene and I wanted to mention it because I did enjoy it. Now, as 
Jill and Victor were talking, Genevieve, who apparently just roams the halls of Newman Enterprises, walks by Victor's open door and comes in to see him. I can't even believe that they let her in the building. She should be banned from the building. She owns a competitor. You can't just be walking around, your, let your competitors walk around in the halls, eavesdropping, listening to see what they're going to hear. And I think that, in fact, it, Genevieve, um, did she overhear that? I think that's where she overheard that Newman picked up the Mitsukoshi contract that she had lost, that everybody had lost. Jabot lost, you know, which was a big blow for Kane and Jill. They really wanted it. I'm sure Ashley's not going to be happy about it. Jack certainly wasn't happy about hearing that news. And, you know, this is where Genevieve learns that she lost the deal. And not only that, but she goes to see Victor to feel him out a little bit to find out if he was trying to set her up to go to jail. He, he did. He, he did. He set her up to get involved in that, to, to walk right into a bribery trap. And now she just feels alienated, realizing that. Genevieve felt like she was doing a really good job. Like she was a mover and shaker in Japan. She was able to go head to head with Victor. And she thought she was so clever getting that business card away from him and stealing his contact out from under him only to realize that like a amateur, she walked right into his trap. And so now she's just feeling bad about herself all the way around. She lost this big deal. So she feels like an incompetent business person. She feels like a horrible mom. She just is not in a good place right now. So she goes back to Victor's office and offers him to buy the company. She decides after all of this that maybe having beauty of nature is not what she wants. Not a good idea. And she she offers uh, to sell to Victor. And I, you know, I... I'm surprised. I can't believe that Genevieve, who seems so tenacious, that she would just give up after only a few weeks. It's only been a few weeks of her owning this company. She sacrificed her entire life, her relationship with Jack, her relationship with Kane, to buy this company. And now after a couple of weeks, just because it's not going her way, she wants to sell it? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Did she think that power and independence, all these things that she hoped to get out of this. Did she think that it was going to come without a fight? Did she think that it was going to be easy? Mm, she, yeah, maybe if she just would have stepped back and let Victoria do her job, none of this Mitsukoshi thing would have ever happened. Things would have been different. She should have just sat back and collected a check and just enjoyed the title of being the owner. She should have let the executives do what they were going to do. No, actually, you know what? Scratch all of that. Forget all of that. She should have not ever bought Beauty of Nature in the first place. She should have, she should be married to Jack right now. She could have had an important role at Beauty of Nature. Instead of biting off more than she could chew and buying it, she could have been working with Jack with Beauty of Nature at Jabot. She could have had an awesome life with Jack, the love of her life, and and working side by side with him. She should be living happily ever after right now. And instead, Jack is in a wheelchair contemplating a very risky surgery, which I hope that he does not do. And Genevieve is getting sued. 
<laughs> Jack sued or, or had Genevieve served with papers. He filed his lawsuit this week claiming that she got Beauty of Nature, bought it under nefarious circumstances, given the fact that she saw his bid and he had her served with papers this week. And it's a good thing that her lawyer was there with her, <laughs> happened to be with her at the time that she received the papers. Leslie, back on the scene, it was nice to see Leslie again. Um, it's not looking good. It's seriously not looking good for Genevieve. She did wrong. She's, she's, I mean, not only, she's, uh, it's beauty of nature, way more trouble than it was worth for her, because now she's in deep do legally as well. <sighs> I just can't help but feel that this is what happens when you play high stakes poker and have no experience. She hasn't, she had no experience to be making these big moves with a lot of money and it just is not working out for her. Can't help but feel a little bit bad for her, but at the same time, ugh, what a huge, huge mistake. Now, other casting news, I think we all kind of knew this was going to happen sooner or later, but I read that Colin is coming back, hmm, onto the scene. I, at first, I think it's only going to be for one scene or maybe one day or something like that. He's going to somehow set the scene. This is what I read. He's going to somehow set the scene for something. I don't know if it's maybe Genevieve traveling to Australia to see him because he is in jail. Um, and I, and I get the impression that it's just going to be a quickie. So I kind of wonder if Genevieve is going to go visit Colin in jail. They're going to set the scene for something and then Colin's going to go away for a while. But it's my impression that there are long term plans to bring Colin back on the scene. So mm, not sure how this is going to play in. Is Genevieve maybe going to get him out of jail so that he can help her? Is she going to maybe make some kind of a deal with him? Like, if you use your connections to get me out of these legal charges, I'll help get you out of jail? I don't know, but Colin's return definitely adds uh, an interesting element. Leave me a comment and let me know how you guys think that Colin's going to factor into this. It should be good. Well, this week... <laughs> we experienced what I think has to be probably one of YNR's weirdest weddings <laughs> ever. It was truly, truly weird. <sighs> Where last we left off, Jeff was in a dumpster, <laughs> having been thrown there by Angelo uh, just as he was about to marry Gloria. And as I predicted, Jill ends up going out back at Glowworm, discovering Jeff in the dumpster, and he marches back into the restaurant covered in garbage just in time to, to stop Gloria from making a huge, well, from making one mistake and <laughs> getting ready to help her make another. He wins Gloria back, wins back her affection by telling her the truth about everything, about Angelo, that Angelo was the one that took her money and sent him off on the desert island, made him write that goodbye note to her. It was all Angelo's doing and that he really loved her. He got his memory completely back, all of his memories about her. He has the funniest pet names for her. Oh, I wish I could remember. There was a couple this week. Oh man, I don't remember them, but it's just funny. He, he does love Gloria. You got to give it to him. They're a weird, weird, wacky couple, but they do work together. You got to give it to him. Eh. 
I guess. <laughs> and after everything was all, you know, wrapped up and revealed for <laughs> Gloria and Jeff, it was, you know, time to get Chloe and Kevin back together as well. Angelina and Daniel ended up working together to get Chloe and Kevin to resolve their issues. Yeah, I was pretty proud of both of them, really. I think it was becoming expected of Angelina that she was going to try to help Kevin get his life back, but I was pretty impressed with Daniel. I had become convinced over the last few weeks that Daniel was falling in love with Chloe. And apparently that's not entirely the case because he was working really hard to get them back together. In fact, Daniel even said to Kevin, hey, you know, she was your girl. We're best friends. I would never do that to you. And Angelina separately convinced Chloe that he never touched me, never loved me. He always only loved you. And it was kind of gross. <laughs> it was like, all is forgiven. Just like that. Just magically, okay, a couple of words. Yeah, all right, it's all forgiven. Whatever. <laughs> all is revealed and, and, and everything gets better. I mean, Angelo decides to give Glowworm fully back to Gloria uh, in exchange for the money that he stole from her. And then he just kind of, Angelo just kind of goes off in a corner and Kevin and Chloe are back together, and everything's just tied up with a neat little bow. Just almost too neat. Almost like a sitcom, where everything at the end of the half hour is just resolved really, really quickly. It was so, it was so quick and so perfectly wrapped up that I didn't, there were parts of it that I was just like, ick. And you know <laughs> that... Apparently, <laughs> Y&R can't just have a wedding not happen. Somebody else has to come in and take it and use the wedding. You can't have a wedding set up and no wedding. So, hey, anybody? Uh, last call. Anybody want a wedding? Anybody here want to have a wedding? And uh, really, once the, once the bow is all tied, what else is there left to do but have a double wedding? It was so kooky. I don't know. What did, did you guys how do you feel about it? I'm mixed. I felt mixed. It was it was just ugh. It was kind of kooky. Like Jeff and Kevin kneeled down to propose at exactly the same time. Ugh! That was so weird. It's just it's not I do I I like drama. I like sophisticated drama. This was a, just a, just tightly or uh, slightly over the edge for me. I felt it, it was funny. I mean, there were funny elements. I laughed. I just I I cringe a little bit when YNR goes too close to the kooky soap opera edge. You know, I've always maintained that YNR was was excellent. It was it was uh it's it's much more refined than some other soaps, you know. There have always been other soaps that were more not reality based. I feel like YNR has always been very reality based and that's what makes me connect with it. And so when we get too kooky, it throws me off a little bit. But it was funny. Um, there were funny moments. I thought one of the funniest moments that I laughed out loud uh, was when uh, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff in general is pretty hilarious, but he decides he needs a best man for his wedding. So he asks Jill and about, oh, two or three seconds after Jill agreed, he gives her a hug and then reached down, reaches down and grabs her ass. <laughs> 
He's like, hey, it's my last moment as a free man. Might as well get a little bit of ass. <laughs> it was a really, that was a, that was a special moment. <laughs> that was a sophisticated moment right there. Oh my goodness. You guys. It really had to be one of the weirdest weddings ever. I mean, even right down to everyone singing the promenade as the <laughs> brides walked down the aisle to meet the grooms. Everyone is in unison singing bum dum da dum 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 da dum. So weird. You have Phyllis standing there in her workout clothes, just behind the bride and groom. She's standing there in a belly outfit, half undressed with a coat on. <sighs> and it was weird how some people had time to get dressed up, some people didn't. Catherine had time to throw on some sequins. <laughs> and they were gorgeous, don't get me wrong. She had on, like, bronze and black sequin jacket. Catherine looked good, okay? I was pro everything that Catherine was wearing. And she ended up being the priest. She pronounced them man and wife, both of couples. Everyone's happy. Somehow, magically, Eden and Daniel are back together, hugging in the background. Well, everyone's happy except for Angelo and Angelina. Angelina realizes that she doesn't belong in Genoa City, and really neither does Angelo. She was the one that kept Angelo held back, reined him in, to not make a fuss, and to learn from her mistake, and they, she decides that they're both gonna go off to L.A. They're both gonna move to L.A. Just go away. <laughs> it was so obvious. Just, it was, like, it was too much. Like, just after the most obvious storyline wrap-up that I've ever seen. You take one breath, and next thing you know, Chelsea and Carmine burst into the wedding scene simultaneously. Chelsea contends that Jeff is her father. She's now found out with the help of uh, not so much the help of her mother, but with the help of Adam, she's found out that Jeff's her father. So it's like, and and, and then uh, it's like I pronounce you husband and wife. You're my father. It was so, oh, it was so weird and lame. And I, oh, it was just I have mixed feelings about it. I really do. And then on the other side, this stranger bursts into the scene, looks at Kevin and Chloe, and is like, "I'm Carmine. Yo, I'm Carmine." <laughs> Ugh, you, you know, you stole Angelina from me and married her, and now I'm gonna steal Chloe from you. And it was just so dumb. I, it's just, I can't get over it. I'm trying to make good out of it, but it was really, really dumb. <laughs> the very end scene of the wedding show, both couples, oh god, it was so, it was like an episode of I Love Lucy or something. Both, you know, this, the storylines had intertwined the two new, uh, protagonists had come into the scene, Carmine and Chelsea, and just then the screen goes black and white, and both couples turn toward the screen, and this text comes on that says, happily ever after, or did they? It was so, like a weird throwback to 50s sitcom. The whole thing had a very sitcom vibe to it. And I appreciate that YNR was doing something different. I don't want to be too harsh. You know me. I really don't like to be too harsh. I appreciate that they were taking a chance and doing something a little bit out there. At the same time, there is a fine line between comedy and stupid. <laughs> 
And this maybe was somewhere in between. And what do you know? It's time for the honeymoons. And what a coincidence. Jeff and Gloria and Chloe and Kevin happen to be going to the same place, Reno. <laughs> so they're sitting around in the airport waiting for their flights. I think Kevin is the most mortified of all, realizing that he's going to be on his honeymoon with his mother there. <laughs> but there's also this other element of Carmine and talking about what happened. And Chloe seems concerned that Carmine is now in the picture. Kevin really couldn't care less. He feels like he can handle it. Kevin's just happy to be, have, to be married to Chloe, to be out of the mess that he was in, and he's not seeing that there's a larger problem down the road. Yet Chloe can't get it out of her mind, Carmine's words, saying that he's going to steal Chloe. <laughs> away from Kevin as revenge for Kevin marrying Angelina. Now, I can't see that Carmine's going to hurt her. I don't get that vibe at all. He he doesn't give me no, he doesn't give me creepy goon vibe. He gives me a sexy young competition vibe like he's going to steal Chloe in a with his crotch. <laughs> By the sheer force of his crotch or power of his crotch, he's going to steal Chloe away. Uh, and, I mean, I I, I kind of can't, I don't know, I, I can't see Chloe cheating on Kevin, but she certainly uh, does like the bad boys. It could definitely be an element of competition. But then again, Eden likes bad boys too, and Carmine and Eden had a little bit of an interaction this week that made me say, hmm, I don't know. Carmine, I don't even know what I think about this whole thing, with his introduction. It's a little bit annoying. He's cute, the guy's cute, but at the same time, I think, well, why now? Why is he on the scene now? It's just, the entry was so, it was just too convenient. I wish he would have come back, I wish Carmine would have come onto the scene at least a little bit, when they were on the run. We should have seen him a little bit before now. Not the day Angelina decides to move out of town, Carmine is suddenly here. Why wouldn't he go off? If he loves her so much, why wouldn't he go off to L.A. to chase her? That was Eden's argument and my argument as well. Instead, he's staying in town for revenge against Kevin, which is just so dumb. It's, it's so annoying because it just signifies... More trouble for Chloe and Kevin. It's impossible for them to be happy. I'm not even a Chloe and Kevin relationship fan, but for crying out loud, can they at least, can we just have a moment of peace? And then on the flip side, you have Chelsea. And Jeff, as her daddy, the big revelation, with Adam's help, Chelsea was able to figure out that Jeff is her dad, and they were able to get the world's fastest DNA test to confirm it, although Jeff doesn't know that yet. He's going to be in for a big surprise because he's totally in denial that he has a child with, um... Oh, gosh. Anita. The, you know, the thing, I probably have forgotten her name because I don't like her. <laughs> 
<laughs> I I don't like the actress. I'm sorry. I don't. So I don't like looking at her. I don't like the way she talks. I don't mean to be negative. I really don't. But I don't like the actress. She doesn't speak to me. I don't like the character. And I'm slightly annoyed that this is becoming a storyline. It's fine if Chelsea, if Jeff is Chelsea's father, but it just means more Anita. And I want less Anita, not more Anita. But I'm, I don't even like Chelsea that much, to be honest with you. I'm trying to warm up to Chelsea. I'm liking her more than I have in the past, but, I mean, especially because she's being good and she's, they're kind of removing her as this Payne and Billy and Victoria side, so I think they're trying to make us like her more, and I'm trying, but for the most part, I don't particularly like either of them. I feel okay with Chelsea and Adam's relationship. I'm warming up to it a little bit. I, you know, they were sitting around this week at the athletic club just chatting and, you know, they're both bemoaning different things in their life and they're comparing their dads. You know, Adam's got Victor as a, as a father and he's a billionaire, but he's the pain in the butt. And Chelsea's got Jeff and Jeff is a lizard. <laughs> he's a lizard man. Next time he's on screen, I want you to look at Jeff and remember that he's a lizard and you will realize that I'm right. You will be able to envision him flicking out his tongue, a really long tongue, and catching flies with it. It makes total sense. Don't forget, you guys, next time you see Jeff, lizard man, keep it in your noggin. <laughs> remember that I told you. He is. He's a lizard. And so I don't know that I'm going to be able to feel particularly passionate about that, but, I, you know, about anyone in this situation except for Adam. <laughs> Adam is being really, really sweet with, sweet with Chelsea. And I'm, you know, I'm glad about that. But I don't want anything more than a friendship. I'm just not ready. I mean, listen to me. I'm such a purist. I never have been this way, uh, really, about very many other people. But, like, I want Adam and Sharon to be together forever. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. Adam and Sharon are right for me. I want them together, and I don't want anything to interfere with that, especially Chelsea. I do not want Adam to sleep with Chelsea. I'm certainly not there yet, anyway. I like Chelsea, like I said, better this week than I have before, but I think it's just by virtue of her relationship with Adam. It's kind of like... <laughs> anyone who enters Adam's orbit <laughs> becomes somehow more interesting to me. <laughs> but still, I'm not ready for a relationship with them. Well, Adam and Sharon met this week at the athletic club after she got back from Japan, and they actually talked to each other a little bit, and it was very nice. Adam was wishing her well, saying she did a good job on the uh, getting the business deal and Sharon was saying that she's glad that Adam got his eyesight back and it was very cordial and very nice and I feel that both of them still care. I think Sharon still cares about Adam. I think Adam still cares about Sharon and I, I'm having a hard time getting over it because we had such a wonderful time at the farm. They really connected and then Sharon just left him so suddenly and uh, it, it with after all of the things that she that he'd done, why now? And uh, why leave him over something that happened years ago? It bothers me that she walked out on him that easily. 
And Adam said something to her this week about, he was talking about fighting to hang on to what's important to you. And that tells me that that's exactly what he's doing, that he is coming up with some kind of plan or some kind of strategy or in some way to get back into Sharon's life. And I hope that she opens herself up to that. I just, I really do. I wish that Sharon, why did she have to give up? Okay, my podcast friends. What a week. The only other thing I wanted to mention briefly was there was this scene with Tucker and Devon hanging out in the music studio and Neil and Sophia came to visit them and uh, they were, you know, wanting to listen to Devon's song and there was this fight that broke out between Tucker and Sophia. Sophia apparently said something that Tucker didn't like, revealed information about him that he didn't like, and it got really, really ugly between them. Well, then there was this later scene. I mean, if you blinked, you would have missed the whole thing. Um, Tucker and Sophia chatting out in the hallway, acknowledging that the whole thing was a ruse, that they were creating this fight as part of a larger strategy. Something like that the business community needs to believe that they're on the outs? I don't know what that means. They didn't explore it at all any further for the rest of the week. It was just so quick, but clearly laying the groundwork for something. I had predicted a couple weeks ago that Tucker was going to try to get in on that Mitsukoshi deal because he was sitting in Ashley's office. She was telling him information and I was not, I was hoping that that wasn't going to be the case, that he wasn't going to try to move in on her business deal. But I kind of had a feeling something was up because then after that conversation with Ashley is when he went and hired Sophia back. Now they've strategized, obviously, come up with some kind of plan for I don't know what. (laughs) I don't know what. I've really been racking my brain and I just don't know. I don't know if it's going to, if Tucker's going to, somehow jump in there and become a part of this whole cosmetics war, or if it's going to be something completely different, who knows, maybe something to do with the music industry. Either way, it is intriguing, and I am curious to know what's going to happen. I'm curious to know what you guys think about that. What Do you have any theories? It is always a pleasure to get your perspective. It affects me in ways you could not even possibly imagine. I would be watching the show in such a a two-dimensional way and just hearing your comments and getting your feedback and it it just, it makes, it it literally takes it to a 3D viewing experience for me. I'm firing on all cylinders. I'm considering things from every perspective because my mind can be so narrowly, (laughs) narrowly focused. (laughs) And every time I get a comment from you guys, it really changes things for me. It makes me see things differently. So there's a couple different ways that you can leave me a comment, and I would love for you to do that. The first and I think easiest way is to call and leave me a voicemail. It can just be like one minute, 
maybe two minutes if you really got a lot to say. It's just a voicemail, so there's no pressure. And if you don't want me to play it back on the um, podcast, I don't have to. Just let me know at the end or at the beginning. Say you don't want it to be played back, but you just want to reach me. You just want to give me your thoughts. Either way, um, it's totally cool. The telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. Uh, that's within the U.S., so if you're abroad, I love you, and you can dial country code 1 and then call 309-588-4569, or you can go to my blog at yrchat.blogspot.com, and you can scroll down to the post for this week's podcast, and you can leave me a comment there, or you can even just send me an email to yrchat.com at live.com. Just type me out your thoughts and I will definitely respond. I love hearing from you. So please don't be afraid to reach out. It means a lot to me when you do. Okay. Well, my goodness. What else is going on, you guys? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, not a whole lot. I'm, oh, I'm, well, okay. I am very into Survivor right now and The Celebrity Apprentice, just so you know. <laughs> If you're wondering what else I'm watching. Oh, and The Amazing Race. Those are my three shows. The Amazing Race, Survivor, and Celebrity Apprentice. For The Amazing Race, I am pulling for The Country Boys. Bopper, Big Bopper, Bopper and Mark. (laughs) For Survivor, I don't know. I like Sabrina. She seems all right. She seems like the best good candidate, but I'm sure that they will cut her sooner or later. I hate... Alicia and her and Colton made me want to puke. They were disgusting human beings. And speaking of disgusting human beings, on Celebrity Apprentice, Aubrey O'Day, oh, she is a vile human being. She's really got some great instincts, great business skills. She's very creative. She has a lot of really good qualities, but she is black inside her and Lisa Lampanelli I wanted to like Lisa Lampanelli I kind I mean I, I I was a little bit I'm not a fan of her but I had a good impression of her before the show and now I just think ugh, it's like her and Debbie and and Aubrey are this mean girls club it makes me want to just scream I, it feels like back in high school and Lisa is old enough to know better Aubrey's young and impetuous Lisa should know better and I'm pulling for Penn pulling for Penn. I'm a huge Penn and Teller fan, so um, that's who I hope wins. In the end, I think it'll be Penn versus Debbie Gibson. That's what I think. But if you don't watch any of those shows, that didn't make any sense to you. Maybe you, chances are maybe you watch one of the three. Um, But hey, you can leave me a comment. Let me know what you think about those shows too, because I'm very into them. So if you want to send me a message uh, one way or another, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those shows as well. But hey, YNR is always my main man, my main show. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm totally looking forward to next week and keeping my fingers crossed that we're going to see some more Ricky and Daisy. Give it to me, please. <laughs> Should be good. Should be real good. All right, you guys. I love you a ton. I hope that y'all have an amazing week. Enjoy watching the show, and I'll be back next time to chat with you about it. Okay, I'll see you then. Bye.